Today we are going to be continuing the uh, sermon, we, uh, sorry, the series we started last week called Three, where we are looking at three individuals in the Bible who transformed the world by the way they lived. Mm. Okay. Water's good. How many of you guys like the Bible? Yeah! Bible is awesome. There's some sweet stories in here. There are 66 books in the Bible, and about 98% of them are about men. And uh, yeah, this is like most of the major biblical characters, including Jesus himself, are male. You know, what, you know the girls, you probably think that's a little unfair, right? A little bit? Just a bit? Yeah? Well, there are two books who are uh, about girls, and that's Ruth and Esther. And Ruth is a love story, so we're going to skip that one today. And uh, <laughs> today we are going to be talking about Esther. And if you guys have never had a chance to read the book of Esther, I really recommend it. It's awesome. There's some great stuff in there. Um, it's about 10 chapters long. It's not that long of a book. Um, it's got a really cool story in it. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk about how Esther transformed the world by the way she lived. And um, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of nutshell the whole story of Esther, kind of condense it and give it to you guys, and then, uh, and then we will talk about it. <clears throat> so a little backstory on the book of Esther before we get started. Uh, Esther takes place around 470 B.C., and uh, it, it takes place during a time where the major world power was the Persian Empire. Uh, they kind of ruled everywhere from India to Africa, uh, the upper parts of Africa. They kind of ruled everywhere and uh, until they were taken over by the Greeks uh, much later. But uh, during the story of Esther, the king of the Persian Empire was a guy by the name of Xerxes, spelled with two X's. That is like the coolest name ever, like... Yeah, Xerxes. So anyway, uh, he ruled the Persian Empire, so he is essentially the most powerful man in the world at the time. And uh, <clears throat> just to give you a little bit of backstory, you can kind of see where it's, coming all, where it's all coming from. At the same time, the Jews were in exile. They were um, kind of kicked out of their own land, kicked out of their own country, and they really had no place to call their own. So what they did was they, they kind of scattered, and a lot of them ended up uh, living in the Persian Empire. And they mostly did it in secret because they didn't want to be ridiculed for being Jewish or being mocked or spit on or, you know, abused because they were Jewish. So they lived uh, in secret, a lot of them hiding their nationality. <clears throat> and uh, so with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and get into the story. Now Xerxes uh, is this king of Persia, and he decides he wants to throw a party. Well, <clears throat> Xerxes is kind of overdoes it, and he's like, I don't want just a party. I want a party that lasts 180 days. Now that's a party. <laughs> I mean, we're talking 180 days of just pure party. That is crazy. But in the middle of this party, as it's going on, uh, uh, Xerxes was probably a little drunk, and he was like, hey, I've got this really hot wife, and I want everybody to see her. And uh, he's like, all you guys, come on over. You're going to see my wife. She is gorgeous. And his wife was like, no, I'm not just going to come parade myself for all the boys. I'm not going to do that. 
Now, at the time, with the culture being the way it was, to refuse an order of the king was not good and would often get you killed and things like that. So here he has his queen, his wife, is refusing to come when she's called. And, and uh, she's just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So Xerxes is kind of discussing it with his buddies, and they're like, oh, you could kill her. And he's like, I don't know about that. And, and they're like, well, you could banish her. Just banish her, kick her out, and uh, you never have to worry about it again. And he's like, all right, you know what, I'll do that. I'll do that. So he takes his wife and banishes her and pretty much says, you're not the queen anymore, get out. And uh, I, like I said, Xerxes had a cool name. I never said he was a cool guy. So... Uh, he kicks his wife out, and he's like, well, I'm a king. I gotta have a queen. So here's what we're gonna do. I want a bunch of people to go out in all the land and find some of the most beautiful girls you can find, bring them to me, and I'm gonna choose one to be my wife. So they do that. And they find this young woman by the name of Esther. And Esther is uh, a young Jewish girl who kind of has a sad beginning to her story. Her parents had died when she was little. And uh, because of this, she ended up getting adopted into her cousin's family. And her cousin's name was Mordecai, which is another awesome name. I mean, Xerxes, Mordecai, some pretty sweet names in here. So <clears throat> Mordecai adopts Esther. And... Uh, Esther gets chosen to be one of these women who's brought before the king. And so Mordecai says to her, hide your nationality. Don't let them know you're Jewish because if they know, they're going to they're gonna mock you, they'll ridicule you. It, you're not going to be treated well, so just kind of hide who you are. So Esther does that, and she is brought before the king. And he just is enamored by her. And he decides, you're going to be my queen takes a crown, puts it on her head, and Esther, just like that, becomes the queen of Persia. Now, Xerxes had a second-in-command kind of guy, and his name was Haman. And Haman, if there is anybody in the Bible besides the devil who is pure evil, it's this guy Haman. He is an awful person. Haman was really full of himself, and he thought he was, like, the greatest. And uh, because of his position, you know, people bowed to him and things like that. Anyway, he was walking by the gates one day, and he passed by Mordecai, Esther's cousin. <clears throat> and he is appalled that this man did not bow to him. And he's like, you didn't bow to me! And he just burns him up inside. He's like... Mm, I hate that Mordecai. He didn't bow to me. You know what? I hate all his kind. I heard he's Jewish. All the Jews are no good because of this one guy. So Haman begins to have this incredible deep hatred for anybody who is Jewish. And he decided they all need to die. All of them. So he goes before the king. And says, <clears throat> uh, this is reading out of Esther 3, starting in verse 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, 
There is a certain race of people scattered throughout the providences of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. Because they were Jewish, they obeyed the laws of God. They weren't going to just do things because the king said it, because they were following the law of God, which was oftentimes contradictory to what man said. So Haman, because of his hatred, is spinning this to make it sound like the Jews are the bad guys. <clears throat> if it's, it's not in the king's interest to let them live, if it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. And uh, uh, they begin to work out a plan to uh, pay people to slaughter the Jews. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing the signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadetha. That's not a good name. I, I just be glad none of you are named Hamadetha, because you probably wouldn't have many friends. <laughs> Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agagite. Wow. The enemy of the Jews. They flat out call him the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. Esther 3.13. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the providences of the empire, giving the order that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. What Haman did was he decided all the Jews need to die because I don't like this one guy. All the Jews need to die, and we're going to do it on one day. So he did what they call casting lots in the back, back in the day, where uh, it's essentially a gamble, and it was going to uh, determine what day this would fall on. And so he cast lots, he played a game called Purim, and uh, it was able to determine a day, a specific day, that the Jews would be killed. And they said, go out and tell everybody. So the Jews knew that this was going to happen. All the Persians knew this was going to happen. Everybody in the land knew on this day, coming up in several months, the Jews are going to die. It was like a scheduled slaughter. Now, Mordecai, of course, heard about this, and it troubled him. So he went to the only person he knew who could do something about it, and that was his cousin, the queen. So he goes up to Queen Esther and informs her that this is happening. And then he begins to remind her that you're Jewish. This will affect you as well. Esther 4, starting in verse 14. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. If you kept quiet, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Uh, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Then Queen Esther said it, this, sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews of Sasa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law... I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. What's happening here is Mordecai reminds Esther, you're Jewish. 
You might be able to hide for a little bit of time, but eventually they will find you. And because of the king's order, they will have to kill you. You are not safe from this. So do something. You have the ear of the king. You're the queen. You can do something about this. But there was an issue. Back then, according to Persian law, you could not just go before the king. Nobody, including the queen, could not enter the king's presence unless they were specifically called for. Because of this, it kind of created a situation where Esther needs to see the king, but she isn't granted that ability to just go in. And the punishment for doing this was death. So she began to fear this. Because on one side, if I do nothing, all the Jews in the land are going to die, and eventually myself. Or I can go in and risk my own life right now and tell the king. One way or another, it's not looking good for me. So she was naturally afraid. But what she did was really interesting. She decided, I am going to fast and pray. And not only me, I'm going to get all the Jews in the land to fast and pray with me. I'm going to get my handmaidens to fast and pray with me. And we are going to pray for three days. And maybe I will find favor with God. Maybe I will find favor with my king. So she begins to pray for three days. Everybody's praying with her. Everybody's standing in faith that this is going to be all right. God's got this. Finally, after three days, it comes time for her to just step out and do this. So she decides, all right, I'm going to do this. This is the day. And she goes before the king. So she walks in to the king's uh, court while he's sitting on his throne. And in this moment, she doesn't know that as soon as I step through this door, he's going to order my death. That's what, this is like the worst case scenario for her. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to die. But I got to do this. So she steps in. And instead of the king being angry with her, he's really happy, really excited. Esther, my queen, come in. What is it you want from me? What is it you desire? Tell me, even if it's half my kingdom, I will give it to you. So relieved, Esther's like, okay, this is working. So that's a paraphrase. She didn't actually say that in the Bible. but uh, So uh, uh, she's like, okay, oh, I want to have a banquet for you and for Haman tonight. And the king's like, food? Yeah, all right. I'm digging that. See, Esther kind of knew that the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So she's like, I'm going to cook him some food. That might work. And the king's like, yes, food. So the, king, the king's like, yeah, all right, we'll come. I'm sure Haman likes food too. He'll, he'll be on. I mean, so they go to the banquet, and Haman's sitting there, and he's eating, and he's like, what's going on? Something's up. I don't like this. Something's sketchy here. I just don't know what it is. And uh, so the king is like, all right, well, this meal was great. What is it you want from me? Obviously, there's something. There's something going on here. What is it you want from me? Ask anything, even if it's half my kingdom. I'll give it to you. And so Esther is like, okay, I want to have another banquet tomorrow night 
for you and Haman. And the king's like, yes, more food. And Haman's like, what's going on? So he's like, all right, yes, we'll come to a banquet tomorrow night as well. So later that night, the night of the first banquet, Haman's walking, walking back from the palace, and he's just like, eh, what's going on? Something's not right. And he passes Mordecai again. And he's like, Mordecai, I hate that guy. He didn't bow to me. Mm, I really don't like this guy. He needs to die, and he needs to die before everybody else dies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the king and tell him Mordecai needs to die. So he turns around and heads back uh, to the palace to go tell, Mor uh, tell the king, hey, this guy Mordecai, I don't like him. He needs to die. So he's going to suggest to the king that Mordecai die. Meanwhile, as Xerxes is sleeping, he's, he's kind of having trouble sleeping. He, he's not, he, you know, he's restless and, and whatnot. So he does what any good king in that situation would do. Servants, come and read me my own story because I'm awesome. And I want to hear all the amazing things I've done. Yeah. I'm cool. So Xerxes is kind of full of himself, you know, he's, he thinks he's all that great. So he has a servant come in with this big book of all the deeds he's done. And as he's reading this book, he gets to this part that he had completely forgotten about. Earlier, right after Esther had become queen, Mordecai had overheard some of Xerxes' men plotting to overthrow and kill him. And he's like, well, that's not cool. So he went and he told Esther. And Esther then went and told the king, hey, Mordecai came up to me and he told me that some people are planning to kill you. And because of this, Xerxes was able to stop the, the, the uh, rebels from, from, from killing him. Their plan went up in smoke. And Mordecai, he's like, write his name in the book. And which he did. And the king just remembered, wait a minute, we never did anything for Mordecai for saving my life. That's kind of an epic deed. <laughs> he saved my life. What should we do to honor him? Hey, here comes Haman. He'll know what to do. So Haman's coming up. And remember, Haman wants to tell the king, let's kill Mordecai. So Haman comes in, and the king's like, Haman, got a question for you. What should someone do? What would a king do for a man who's really pleased to the king? What should we do? Mordecai's like, uh, sorry, Haman is really excited. He's like, oh, the king wants to honor me. Yes. This is what I always wanted. So he's like, this is what you should do. You should give him a ring, give him a robe, put him on a horse, and have a parade for him. Yeah. Because Haman thinks that the king's talking about himself. And the king's like, I love it. Hey, that guy Mordecai, do it for him. He saved my life. And, and Haman's like, mm. I hate that guy. But it was too late. He now couldn't suggest to the king to kill him because the king just ordered him to throw him a parade. And he's like, fine. And he goes and he throws a parade for Mordecai. And he's like, I hate that guy. He doesn't bow to me. Him and all his people, they're all terrible. I don't like them. So the king and Haman the second night for the second banquet go, and they are enjoying a good, a good meal. And again, for the third time, he says to Esther, what is it you want from me? You're obviously, you want something, because you're buttering me up with all this food here. You want something. What is it you want from me? Ask it, 
if, even if it's half my kingdom, I'm going to give it to you. And this is how Esther replies to the king. Esther 7, starting in verse 3. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For, I, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had been merely sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. At this moment, what Esther has done is she has stood up and said, I'm Jewish. And Haman's plan will kill me because I'm Jewish. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was entering the palace garden. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as the king spoke, the attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Haman was dragged outside, and they killed him. They also killed his entire family because of his plot that would include the death, that would include the death of the queen, whom Xerxes loved. Because of Esther's boldness, she was able to prevent the slaughter of thousands of people. But there was a bit of a problem. The king said to, to Esther, because of Persian law, anything I decree cannot be undone. It just can't. That's not the way it works. I can't go back on my own word. Your people are still scheduled to die, and I can't do anything about that. But what I can do is offer a second decree that says that the Jewish people have the right to bear up arms against their attackers and fight back. So Esther agrees to that, and the king puts out a second decree that basically says, yeah, all those uh, Jewish people you're going to slaughter, they're going to have weapons, and they're going to fight back. And so on that day, the day that Haman had chosen by chance, by playing a game called Purim, when that day came, a fight began between the Jewish people and everybody who wanted to kill them. And the Jewish people won. They slaughtered all their enemies who were attacking them. And because of that, they created a festival to always remember that day, and they called it the Festival of Purim. To celebrate their victory, as well as celebrate the life of Esther. That's the story of Esther in a nutshell. So, let's look at Esther a little bit. Esther was just a normal Jewish girl. There wasn't anything particular speci particularly special about her. She was just chosen to become the queen. She was just an average girl. And according to biblical history, she was probably no more than 14 years old when she married Xerxes. Not much older than the girls in this room. 
But God was able to use her to prevent the deaths of thousands of people. She was able to transform the world by the way she lived, and she did it in three ways. First of all, Esther did what she could to help. She knew that she had a chance to get through to the king because of his love for her. She was in a position to help the people of God, and she decided to do what she could to help. She had the opportunity to do something because of where she was at. She had the ear of the king because of his love for her. And she realized, in this spot where I'm at right now, God has placed me in the perfect position that I can do something. I don't know what I can do just yet, but I can do something. I can stand up for what's right. The next thing she did was she was spiritually prepared. She had to go before the king without being called, which could have gotten her killed. So she prepared herself spiritually. She fasted and prayed, but not just her. She asked her cousin and all the others to fast and pray with her. She stood in faith, was prayed up, and spiritually prepared to face the king. She had favor with God and with Xerxes. She fasted and prayed. She realized, I've got something coming up here. Something incredibly difficult. Because if I walk in that room, there's a good chance, a very good chance, that I'm going to get killed just because I broke Persian law. I can't do this alone. I need God. So she decided, me, all the Jews in the land, we're all going to fast and pray because I need God's help. I need to be prepared to walk in that room. So when that moment came where she walked into the throne room, God had favor on her, and the king was excited to see her. The third point I'd like to make is Esther was bold. She stood up against the injustice she saw. She pushed through the fear she had, stood before the king, and asked for mercy. She, through God, had the boldness needed to stand against Haman and his plans. Because of her passion, because she was spiritually prepared, she, was, uh, she confidently made her request which the king honored. She was frightened. She was scared. But she stood up and said, what's going to happen is wrong. Thousands of people, thousands of God's people are going to die. I can't let that happen. So she stood up in boldness and said, this is wrong. And she was honored for it. God had favor on her. She could have easily have let it go. She could have easily just said, no, I, I, I can't do that. If I go in there, I'm going to die. But then all the Jews would have been slaughtered. And then eventually she would be found out as a Jewish girl. And then they would have to kill her anyway because of the law. Because of the decree the king had sent. Who knows what kind of trouble that would have caused later on. But because she was bold, because she was spiritually prepared, and because she was willing to do what she could to help, she was able to transform the world by the way she lived. We can apply this to our own lives. We can transform the world 
by the way we live, the same way Esther did. All we have to do is being willing to help, be spiritually prepared, and be bold. We can stand up against what's wrong. In our schools, you know, next, next fall when you guys enter school, you're going to be faced with things that you know is wrong. Your friends are going to pressure you into doing things you know is wrong, to look at things that aren't wrong, to watch movies that, that you shouldn't be watching, to listening to music you shouldn't be listening to. Hanging out with friends you shouldn't be hanging out with. Drinking things you shouldn't drink. All kinds of pressures. But you are in a position to do something about it. Now all of us are special in our own way. But in a grand scheme of things, we're all average. We live in an average America. We go to average schools. We're all average people. We're nothing that far above normal just like Esther was. But Esther was willing to work with what she had. And we can do the same thing. We can stand up. We can be bold for anything that Satan might throw at us. And he's going to throw stuff at us. He's going to make this difficult. But you are in a position to help people, to help your friends, to help your families, Steer them in the right direction. You can also be spiritually prayed up. Be prepared for what needs to be done. You guys are probably going to be facing decisions. You're probably facing decisions right now where you just don't know what to do. What should I do? Things that are frightening to you. Things that you just don't, don't know what to do. You need God's help. What you can do is become spiritually prepared. Fast and pray. You don't have to fast food if you don't want to fast food. You can fast other things such as, let's say you could, instead of playing a video game for a couple of hours, you can be in the word of God and praying to God. Spend time with God. Get to know who God is. And as you do that, it will build up like a battery on the inside of you. It charges you up. It gets you prepared for what you need to do, for things you have to face. And it gives you the courage to be bold, to step out and say, no, this is wrong. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to smoke that. I'm not going to hang out with those people because they are a bad influence on me. It gives you the boldness to stand up in front of your friends and say, no, let's not do that. We don't need that. And you can steer your friends in the right direction. Instead of having them steer you, you should be steering them. Be bold. Be confident. And if, if, if being bold is something that's more difficult for you, that's where more fasting and more praying comes in. God can give you the courage you need to stand up and say, this is wrong. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for you, just as he had a plan for Esther. Esther was queen for a reason, because from her position as queen, she was able to save lives. God has a plan for you. He has something there for you, and you can either run away from it or walk in it. And if you walk in it, God can do mighty things in your life. 
just like how Esther, walking with, through the plan that God had for her, was able to save so many lives. And here's a fun fact. The festival of Purim is still celebrated today. To this day, they still celebrate that moment where Esther was bold and helped save the Jewish nation. God has a plan for your life. He wants you to walk in it. You are in a position to help. So be in that position. Do what you can to help. When you see something that's not right, stand up. Be bold. Be spiritually prepared to say no. To steer your friends in the right direction.